how to get water from the rock. We're going to look at Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13 tonight. The word of the Lord says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren, uh, I'm sorry, if only we had died, our brethren, uh, if only we had died, our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and the water came out abundantly in the congregation, and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And this was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed amongst them. So, Heavenly Father, I pray this night, Lord God, open our hearts, Lord God. We see, Lord God, a great lesson here in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, Lord God. How to get water from the rock, your way. And I pray, Father God, that tonight, Lord, there would be a great understanding of, Lord God, the great waters that you provide for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and that, Lord God, we would walk out of here with a much more empowered prayer life, Lord God, than we walked in here this night to have. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd be glorified in this, in Jesus' name, amen. So, let's go through. I'm going to first take you through, I want to take you through just an explanation, a little exposition on, um, on Numbers chapter 20. We begin in verse 1, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin. And the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, I, I want to just show you, and this is important, to show you where Kadesh is. In the journey of Israel, we come here. This is Kadesh right here, okay? And um, that, is, that is important to understand because what you're going to see here, this happened twice, and there are some... Again, some people don't, don't read the scriptures too, uh, too closely because there are some who have said that what happened in Exodus 17 is the same thing that happened here. They are two different events, two different time periods. Uh, the first time God told Moses to strike the rock, the second time he told Moses to call forth water from the rock. The passage also tells us Miriam, okay, dies at this point. Miriam is the sister of Moses. She is best known 
from Exodus chapter 2 where she kind of made sure when Moses was put in the Nile River that he was picked up and he was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. She kind of like oversaw and, and, and guided that whole thing. She is also known in Exodus chapter 15 for leading the Hebrew women in the Song of Moses in celebration with the tambourine and with praise. But she's also known for something else. We covered it a couple of weeks ago. She later challenged the actions and authority of Moses. She found fault with Moses for marrying a Cushite woman. Uh, she challenged Moses' priestly authority. It's interesting, the, 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 the female challenging the male authority, appointed authority of God that he had placed in, in Moses. And what happened to her? She became leprous. And um, Moses prayed for her, and she was healed, but you never hear about her again until her death. I'm just going to say something. I think that, that her challenge to Moses, God kind of put her aside. And that was, the, uh, that was kind of the end of her influence and the end of her ministry. Verses 2 through 5. Now there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if only we had died. Right, here we go again, right? Just, man, some people just don't get it. I'm telling you, some people just don't get it. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord, why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us uh, to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is it any water to drink. And again, here they, they go, again, uh, again, complaining, murmuring. You know what murmuring is? Murmuring is gossip. And that is something that is contagious. And it's contagious as it, it would literally like a wildfire, travel through the 12 tribes of Israel. But they, again, I'll say it again, they don't get it. They just keep repeating this same dangerous cycle. Now, they're complaining. God brings them, right, to this place, and there's no water. What is God doing? You know, it's just when, when you go through trials, it's good to stop and just ask, what is God doing here? And I, I said this on Sunday, we're talking about, again, spiritual warfare and battling the devil. The Lord will put us in times of testing. And what testing does is, so people say, well, testing makes me stronger. Not necessarily. Testing reveals who you are, what you are. When you get into a time of testing in your life, whether you're a Christian or not, you go through a time of testing, it's going to reveal... Okay, whether you're strong or whether you're weak, it's going to reveal whether you are a person of faith or a, a, a person of doubts. It will reveal who you truly are. God is giving them here a revelation about themselves. And he's training them, trying to bring them to a point of trust. He's trying to teach them that he will provide for them. That he will provide the water, right? What has he done right, right through the entire journey thus far? He has given to them water from a rock. He has given them manna from heaven. He has provided quail from the sea. He's provided victories for them. 
And again, they're, they're just not, they're, they're not learning the lessons. So I want to just tell you, in, in, at, at this point, this is a test. This is a test. There's, right? There's no water. He's testing to see if they will trust him. And he's training them, again, to rely on him, teach them that he is Jehovah Jireh, right? The Lord who provides. Again, he's demonstrated this over and over again, and they, they are failing the test. So I'll just say this, when God is testing you, and you complain, you start complaining, and I'll tell you, just you start complaining. Why, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? You start complaining. You start murmuring. You start talking to other people about it. You start whining. I just want to say, when you get to that place, you failed the test. You you you, you failed. You got you got a big F on the test. And that that by the way, that is a wake up call. When you when you are failing the test, that is a wake up call. To change. It's, 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 you know, God's saying it's, it's time to change. Maybe it's time to change your attitude or, or change your beliefs. It's time to start trusting God and, you know, God's provisions. Now, you know, some of you who have been here, you know, some of you have been here, I mean, we have people here who are here from the very beginning of the church. Let me tell you, there are many, many times God put us to the test. Right at the beginning. Test, you know, after, you know, after test, after test that, that God put us through. And again, as we, as we rose up and we trusted him, and how many times, you know, I mean, if Diane was here, I could tell you just, Diane could talk to you about the financial provisions of God. And I've said this through the years, I don't even know where the money came from. You know, we, 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 you don't see us up here ask, you know, asking for money. I don't even know where the money came from. And how God provided for us. I mean, really, from the, from the very beginning, the first time, hey, we're going to go to a building, right? We're in my house around the corner here, and we're going to go to a building, and we're going to start the church. And again, how God just provided. I remember, like, like people gave, th- like, $300 that night to cover the rent. And it was, like, just what we needed, what we needed to cover. And, you know, hey, COVID, you know, COVID, when churches were shutting down, churches were laying people off, God provided for us. Through, and and he, basically, we were raising more money during COVID than we were before. But just, I mean, Diane, you know, Diane could tell you how many times, you know, Pastor Lou and I, maybe in the early days when Diane came on with us, and she'd be like, oh, we're going to have enough money to pay the bills. I mean, a lot of times, right, it was just, it was living hand to mouth. And Pastor Lou would look at her and just say, God will provide. God will provide. He always does. And that is, you know, again, those were tests. By the way, there were times where some people failed a test here. COVID, a lot of people, right? There was a good portion of people who, they were here before COVID and they were gone after. They never came back. And people failed the test. So, again, God will put us through tests for the purpose of revealing, you know, where we're at. And you may not like where that is, but it's to bring you, and it says this in Romans chapter 12, to sober judgment 
about you, that you're thinking so, because you know what, it, it, this is true, most people think they're far better than they are. Hey, we just, we're just sitting, I, I just, I give you my illustrations from the martial arts. We are just talking about this. We were just talking about this last night. How many people, right, fighters, they just think they're far better than they are. And they get, their, they get whooped. And it's a, you know, it's a revelation that, you know, you're not as good as you are. But that, that, is my, that is my experience. Like most people in the church, outside the church, in sports, right, in business, in politics, they think they're far better than they are. And that's why God will put you to a test to give you that sober, you know, revelation. Hey, you, you're not as good as you think. You're not as smart as you think. You're not as wise as you think. You're not as strong as you think. You're not as tough as you think. And it's a, it's a revealing. And again, for the purpose of waking us up and bringing us to a place of change. So he's testing them, revealing themselves to them, and he's also in the process of training them. Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. At this point, Moses didn't get angry. Moses didn't start complaining. Moses didn't start fighting with them. And again, this is a pattern that you see Moses doing over and over again. What he did, and this is important, he separated himself from them. When you're you're dealing with people, when people are murmuring and complaining, you know, I say this to you, when you're dealing with really negative people, right, we as Christians, we're supposed to love them, right? We're supposed to love negative people, divisive people, gossips. We're supposed to love them. So I say, you know, don't walk away from them. Run away from them. I'm serious. Because they will infect you. And Moses, I believe Moses did the right thing here. He, he separated himself and he and Aaron prayed. So when you are confronted with faithless complainers, there is a time to separate from them. It may not be permanent. It may just be a time. But uh, again, that murmuring, don't think that you can't get caught up in it. So they pull away, and again, they fell on their faces. I just want to, let me emphasize something here. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared Praying, you know, this is something that when we used to pray years ago, sorry, let's, let's pray, we rarely stood. We always got on our knees. It was the early days. Like we would, we would finish, like the first six people started the church. Now, some of you can't do that because you got, you know, whatever, knee problem, back. I'm just, we got on our knees. And we spent a lot of time, I say this to you, when you get up in the morning, put your shoes under your bed so that you have to get on your knees to pull them out and start the day in prayer. But, but the, there is a, we call it the physiology of prayer, it is a, a show of humility, of reverence, and of honor to the king of kings. Moses is called the humblest person on earth. But there, there, is, a, you know, there is a humility. I think some of us, you know, we are, we are too big, right, to go low. And really, you, 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 have to, you have to be truly big, I think, in Christ to go low and bow your life before him. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this story. These two brothers grow up, 
on a farm. Uh, the father dies. One brother goes off. He becomes a very successful lawyer in Chicago, making millions of dollars a year. Very prideful, arrogant, right? He comes back to the farm. His brother stayed on the farm. His brother's continuing to, to grow corn. And um, his, he comes back, and he's very, again, very arrogant. Why are you still, you know, running this farm? You know, why don't you go and make something of your life? Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at how much money I make. Look at the car I'm driving. Look at where I live. And he, he's just boasting about himself. So the farmer brother, he said, come outside. I want you to, to notice something. He says, look at the heads of corn. And they're looking at the heads of corn. And he said, notice that it's the heads that are full that bow and the heads that are empty that stand straight up. Moses had a full head and a full heart. And he knew, again, over and over again, just bowing before the Lord in, in reverence and in humility. So verse 7 and 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes. And it will yield its water, thus you shall bring water out for them, uh, from the rock and give drink to the congregation and the animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. I want you to notice the word speak in Hebrew is debar. It means to speak boldly. In a sense, he's saying here, speak boldly, command the rock to bring forth the water. But just again, four words, speak to the rock. Speak with boldness, speak with confidence, speak with belief Speak with faith that the water is going to come forth from the rock. Simple four words. Verse 10 and 11. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, and he lost it. He, he lost patience here. He becomes angry. You ever get angry? That's been one of my biggest challenges throughout my life. Anger. My biggest challenge. I once had one of, the, one of the leaders here in the church, I won't mention his name. I don't think the man had a temper. Nothing, you know, there's some people like that. They just don't get, I mean, and, and there's a righteous anger, and that's it. But this guy, this guy never got angry about anything. It was always like, he was always passive. No matter what was happening in the church, it was always like, well, just let it, you know, let it go, let it go. And um, one day he said to me, you need to control your temper. And I said to him, I control more temper in one day than you control in 10 years. And I, I, it's true. But here's, a, here's a, an example, and I can relate to Moses with this. By the way, you'll notice this, why I don't have any hair. Pastor a church for 30 years, and the hair falls out. I don't think Moses had hair. I know he didn't have hair. So notice this, it says again, here now you rebels, must we bring water for you out of the rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. He loses his temper, he gets angry, he struck the rock twice. What did God say to him? Call forth water from the rock. All right, now I'm going to bring you back. 
I'm going to bring you back to, oh, let me, let me give you the final, the final word here. He struck the rock here on this passage, just verse 12 through 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hollowed among them. It cost him his dream. It cost him his vision of going into the promised land. This was, I mean, he, he, he lived for God, but God had given him this goal. And again, there, there is a, a key lesson here that when God asks you to do something, do it and do it his way, not your way. Don't add to it and don't subtract from it. So Moses loses his dream, his vision, because of his disobedience. And you look at that and say, oh, this seems really unfair that God would do that. Let me just say, Moses is a leader, and he is a great leader. He, he really is. He is the great leader of the Old Testament. And leaders are held to a much higher standard than other people. And you see that right here. That's why you, if you aspire to leadership, let me tell you something. You are aspiring to something where you will be placed under the microscope of God and he will discipline you unlike he will other people. So that is something, you know, some of you who aspire to be pastors, take that, take that to heart. Think about that. Okay. I'm going to bring you back to Exodus 17. So what I had just demonstrated to you, this uh, first event, we see that it happened at Kadesh. There's Kadesh, right? There's Kadesh right there. The event that we look at here in Exodus 17 happened down here at Rephidim, okay? Right there at Rephidim. So you look, the journey went like this. They came down uh, along the Red Sea, and then they worked their way up, okay? And so the first event... Rephidim, the second event that we just looked at, Kadesh. So I want you to look at what happened here. Again, this is years before in Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. I'm going to read, I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Sounds like the same story, right? So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river to go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, so he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord amongst us or not? Who is the rock? Right? Jesus is the rock. How do we know that? Let me tell you, sometimes, I mean, the Bible, it gives you a lot of little 
you know, indications and hints and revelations. This is incredibly clear. In the Old Testament, you have many places where God is called the rock, the Lord is called the rock, Jesus is called the rock, he's called the chief cornerstone. Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2, David writes, I will love you, O Lord, my strength, the Lord is my rock. And my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud of the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was, I mean, that's the rock that Moses struck, the rock that Moses was supposed to call forth water from and struck again is Jesus. It's a typology, right? It's a foreshadow of of Jesus. Just as, you know, in fact, Numbers, what we have covered just in Numbers, the last few chapters here, and next week I will show you there's the bronze snake. Jesus is a typology of the bronze snake. And again, very clear indication. He, he said that in John chapter 3. The red heifer last week. The red heifer is a typology of Jesus. Remember the two silver trumpets? They are a typology of Jesus. The, uh, the Passover lamb, the tabernacle, the sa- all these are typologies. That's why when Jesus said, he said to the Pharisees, you read the word and it talks about me. If the word is, it talks about me continuously. And you don't get it. Because at the Tanakh, the Old Testament, it reveals Jesus right from Genesis 1 right to Malachi 5, you know, continuously. So Jesus is the rock. Who is the water? Again, Jesus made this clear. The water is the Holy Spirit. You look at, at John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come and, uh, to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the rock is a typology of Jesus. The water is a typology of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to show you, I want to show you something, again, extremely relevant to our walk in, in Christ. In Luke chapter 11, 9 through 13, Jesus here teaching about prayer and really praying for the Holy Spirit. So I say to you, ask, right? You all know this passage. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now that's kind of confusing for me. Because I thought that when we accept Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit. 
right? Jesus right, comes and we put our faith in him and we believe in him as our Lord and Savior and we are born of the Spirit, right? John chapter 3, and we become temples of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian and not be born of the Spirit, right? Some people say, well, well, you know, you're a Christian. I'm a, you know, uh, you're a born again Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, you, you can't be a Christian and not be born again. I mean, again, the, the ignorance of, of, of people and just man, read the Bible, you know, read John, you know, just the, the, the most fundamental of all the Gospels. But you receive the Spirit of God and he comes and lives in you when you're born again. So here, Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give? And in the New King James Version, in the NIV, in most of your modern translations, it says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. But if you go back and you look at the Greek, you will find that the definite article, the, does not appear. So the way it should read, and they do this for grammatical purposes, to make it, you know, smooth in the English, but it's, it's not a proper translation. It should read that your heavenly Father give Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What was Jesus pointing to? Give Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our source of everything that we need. (laughs) He is the source for everything that we need as believers. Now look at, look at in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Who's Jesse? The father of David. The rod that would come forth from Jesse, who's that? It's David. David's the rod. And then it says, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Who's the branch? It's Jesus. You know, just here's something. In Matthew, Matthew 3, Matthew writes, he shall be called a Nazarene. As the scripture says, he shall be called a Nazarene. You can't find that scripture verse in the Old Testament. And so the critics look at that and they say, you know, hey, look, there's an, uh, there's an error in the Bible. If there's an error in the Bible, it can't be the inspired word of God. It's false. Did Matthew make a mistake, right? Is it really the inspired word of God? He shall be called a Nazar. The word there for branch is Nazar. I believe that was what Matthew was talking about. He wasn't talking about that he would come from Nazareth. I believe he was saying that he would be the branch. Jesus is the branch. Jewish people, they will talk about Messiah being the branch. He is the branch. He is the Nazar. And they're careful to say Nazar because if they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they'll just use the word branch. Now watch, watch. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You need wisdom? See, I believe when Jesus was saying, 
that we should pray for Holy Spirit. He wasn't saying that we would pray that the Holy Spirit as a person would indwell us, but that the Holy Spirit would give to us what we need. Maybe you need wisdom. Let me tell you something. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, said, pray for wisdom more than you would pray for gold because it's worth more than gold. Pray for wisdom. You need wisdom, right? You need wisdom to be able to navigate the I mean, these crazy waters of this world. Are they insane? To navigate them, to navigate them successfully in your career, to navigate them successfully in your marriage and in your family, to navigate them successfully in your ministry. That we can ask, right? We can ask that the Holy Spirit would manifest wisdom or understanding or counsel or might, power, power for living. Do you need power for living? The world knocking your socks off and beating you up? It's beating you down. You're having a hard time, right? You, you need power. We need power for living. And he offers us that might. He offers us that power. He offers us knowledge. The fear of the Lord. You know what the fear of the Lord is? That's awe. That's the awesome experience that makes your hair stand up on your forearms and makes your knees knock together that there is an almighty God, an all-powerful one, because most people go through life and they are just so bored. They are, I mean, they are bored and they are boring. Right? They just nothing, I mean, they, they, they're looking at that freaking iPhone all the time, and let me tell you something, that's the only thing that thrills them in life. You need something that's going get to you, get you excited, something that's going to give you passion, something that's going to make you filled with some type of sense of awe. That's the fear of the Lord. The beauty of the fear of the Lord, too, it is the fear that dispels all other fears, because when you fear God, I mean, people, I mean, people are afraid of everything. I see church people afraid of everything. I said, this, you know, afraid someone's going someone's to come and get them. Someone's going to come and take their possession. They're afraid of this. They're afraid of that. The fear of the Lord is the fear that dispels all other fears. Fear God and you will not fear all these other things. Do you need that? See, it, it, it's there for us when we come to the rock. And he will give us all we need through the spirit of the Lord. So watch, here's your conclusion. The rock was struck once and for all. So in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. My sins struck the rock on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. It was my sins that struck the rock. And the water of salvation flowed into my life and over my life, washing away all of my sins. I have been cleansed from all of my sins because I have put my faith right in that rock and he took my sins upon himself. And he said it was finished. Look at what it tells us in Romans chapter 6, 9 through 10. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Once for all. He died once. Never to die again. He was struck once. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So the rock has been... If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins have been placed upon Jesus... Your sin struck the rock, 
and you have received that, again, water of cleansing and washing, and all your sins have been washed away. And I'll tell you, there ain't no better offer that you're going to find in this world than that. So now what do we do? We speak to the rock. We speak to the rock. That's where ask, seek, and knock for what you need from the rock. So it says in, in John fourteen six, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I have used this verse numerous times, probably thousands of times in sharing the gospel with people. That Jesus is the way. He is not a way, he is the way. There is no other way to salvation but Jesus Christ. You can't get there on your own. You're never going to get there through works. You're never going to get there through religion. You're never going to get there to be doing religious gymnastics. He is the way. And I've always, again, used this passage that way. But you see, he is the way for salvation. He is the way that I came to be saved. But he is the way that I come every day. He is the way that I come to receive what I need, that water, that living water of the Spirit, that power that I need to live my life victoriously and successfully every day. He is the one that I come through to get the wisdom that I need to make the 1,000 decisions that I make every week, over and over again, decisions upon decisions. And to make wise decisions, because you're making foolish decisions, right? You're digging a hole for yourself. Life just continues to get harder and worse. So I, I, I come, you know, through him in his name to receive that living water, right? And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In the name of Jesus, I need living water. In the name of Jesus, I need power. In the name of Jesus, I need wisdom. In the name of Jesus, I need a provision. There's nothing nothing magical about the name of Jesus if you are not in relationship with him. But when you're in relationship with him and you know him and you know his father, we can come to him and we can come to him boldly, right? Let us therefore come Boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time. I mean, you can come boldly. If you have kids, your kids come to you and ask you for something? Right? My, grand, my grandson, John, he will come to me boldly and he, he will ask me for something. He doesn't come timidly. He doesn't come and, and like, 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 you know, tippy-toe around me, and he'll come right up to me, and he'll, you know, he'll ask me for something that he wants. He just, he just did it. He did it uh, last week. He came to me, and he said, he said, Pop, I want rollerblades, right? He's going to get rollerblades, but he goes, I want rollerblades. I'm going to get him the helmet. I'm going to the elbow pads. I'm going to the knee pads and everything else so his mother doesn't kill me when he goes out, and he gets, uh, he gets all beat up, but he, he comes boldly to me, as my, as my kids did. And that's how we are to come to the rock for the water. So the rock has been struck once, never to be struck again. Now we come and we can come boldly. We can come dabar, 
to call forth water, living water, from the rock. So I end, I, I end with this one question. Does your prayer life demonstrate that? Does it demonstrate that type of boldness and that type of faith coming to the rock? Amen? Worship team can come up. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. I pray, Lord God, that, Father, this study, Lord God, in my own personal life really took me up to another level of my prayer life. I thank you for that, Lord God. I pray that it would do the same for all, Lord God, who are here tonight, those who are watching, Lord God, on television, those, Lord God, who will hear this message in upcoming weeks and upcoming years. May it raise their level to a, a, a great, powerful prayer life, an effective prayer life, Lord God, and may it be for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.